welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Joslin. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on a Monday morning. Instead of backing away from those topics here at Waterstone and on this podcast, we want to engage with those conversations. We want to engage with those polarizing ideas. There are few topics that are more polarizing in our current context than politics. On the second season of the Monday Morning Phone Call, we are going to spend four episodes talking about how to navigate our polarized political landscape. We live in a country where our gospel identity is often challenged by our political system. So how do we navigate that tension and remain true to our identity in Christ? That's what we'll be covering over the next few weeks heading into the election. We hope it is a helpful resource for you as you navigate polarized politics. Today, I'm joined by Larry Renault, the lead pastor of Waterstone. It's actually his first time on the podcast, and it was a really great conversation. The focus of our talk uh, was on how we should vote. Now, before you turn us off, the conversation was not telling you who to vote for or what issues to vote for, um, but more about the tension we feel in the voting booth. Most of the time we go to the polls, our voting options often feel very incongruent with our personal beliefs, and they never quite reflect our convictions. We like to think of voting in politics as a space of self-expression and exerting our personal will, but rarely do we actually get that opportunity. Our consciences and convictions don't align perfectly with our parties and our choices, and so we feel like our integrity is constantly being threatened. That's what we try to address in this episode of the Monday Morning Phone Call. Well, Larry, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate you being here to talk about politics. And I know uh, as we talked about what we wanted the second season of the Monday morning phone call to be, politics was was kind of one of the things that you pushed us to talk about. So do you mind just starting off telling us a little <laughs> bit about why that was and what your pastoral heart was there? Yeah. So first of all, I think it's timely. Mm -hmm. You know, we're in the midst of uh, election season and it's on everyone's mind, whether uh, that's desired or not. I think it's, you can't (laughs) get away from it right now. But uh, so I think it's just really relevant and and, uh, a good season to talk about it. But even more, I think the stakes are higher for the church. Mm. You know, Jesus talked about or prayed even in John 17 when he saw his church going through the future that by our love for one another, the watching world would know that he's the son of God. And so something even as divisive as politics, I think it's important that we talk about it and strive for unity. Uh, as best we can. And hopefully, unity doesn't happen um, just by sitting back and not talking about things or Mm. taking action. Uh, A better desired unity is actually mutual understanding and listening and um, working towards the goal of even agreeing to disagree or disagreeing on certain things, but still keeping the ultimate priorities in place yeah. of Christ and kingdom. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's really well said. And I think, you know, so much of politics is just people disagreeing and refusing to listen, refusing yes. to talk, refusing to find common ground. Yeah. And if there's any place where that should be possible, I would hope it would be the church, that people who are united under Christ and may see things different politically right. can come together for the sake of the kingdom yeah. and his glory. Yeah. And, that's right, Paul. So in a sense, it's an opportunity yeah. for us to display unity. Yeah. And so again, I, I wanted to, 
for and I know your your this is your heart too. Let's be proactive mm, about this. Let's yes. let's get it on the table. Let's talk about it. Absolutely, and, uh, and I, it, it is an opportunity. Yeah, and I think proactive, especially because and you hinted at this earlier, people really do feel. Uh, uh, attention this year, I think, over politics. I know in our production meeting the other day, we were talking with our team and, and a few people just mentioned the political um, paralyzation that yes. they feel yeah. and the tension between not feeling like there's always great options yeah. on the ballot and yeah. feeling stuck between um, bad and worse or bad and bad and, and not really feeling excited about the options. And that goes from candidates to issues that are on mm-hmm. ballots. And I think we all, when we go into the voting booth, um, there's always an element out of which we feel whatever our choice we make, it's incongruent with our desires and our wants and our longings and, and our beliefs. And so uh, we do feel kind of paralyzed by the choices that are presented to us mm-hmm. and um, and feel stuck in that. And I feel I feel like this year particularly, a lot of people are feeling that in a deep way. Uh, totally. Uh, it, w- the um, when we were talking with some of our staff, um, one of them was sharing in particular, and this was very heartfelt, very heartfelt moment where some of her friends on the one one side were saying, "Well, if if you vote for a Democrat, you're not a Christian." Yeah. And some of her other friends were saying, "If you vote for a Republican, you're not a Christian." And it's just become so weighted yeah. and emotional. Yep. A lot of heat yes. around it. And in fact, when she was saying that, uh, and as I thought of a, a song that uh, a, a guy named John Guerra, um, he wrote a song named called Citizens, and he has mm. this one stanza in it. It says, is there a way to love always? Living in enemy hallways, don't know my foes from my friends and don't know my friends anymore. I think that's really captures what some of us are feeling Absolutely. on this as far as trying to um, have po- discussions around politics, but it becomes so elevated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, then the title of this podcast is How Then Should We Vote? And I think that question, we're not here today to tell people who they should vote for or even how they should decide on certain, uh, you know, decisions that might be on the ballot uh, this year, but really how should we vote as believers in Christ, mm-hmm. as people um, who who are in the church, and how do we decide who gets our vote in a culture of politics that is so binary, mm-hmm. where most of the time the options that are presented to us are very polarized and people feel very strongly one way or the other that you can't be a Christian and vote one way or the other. Right. Um, and so people feel that, again, that that paralyzation and being stuck in a space of not knowing what to do. Yeah. Um, and it really, for I think a lot of people, it becomes um, this... Uh, uh, um, there's a moral weight to that decision that they feel, and they feel a crisis around that. They, they, they do. And uh, uh, the um, it comes from both sides, too. I think it comes on the one side from the Christian side where we've almost made a political party an add-on to whether, mm. like, we're a Christian. Yeah. Uh, it becomes, well, if you're a Christian, of course you would vote this right. way or be part of this political yep. party. And so there's weight from that side. Um, and then I think from the even the political party side, um, I think there's a sense in which e- the, the way political parties present themselves is you've got to 
accept all this. Right. And, and there's you can't go to a, any other options except this one platform, and you've got to accept the whole platform. A- absolutely. So it's really pressure from both sides. There is. Yeah. And then the stakes are raised because you're told that if you don't vote one way or the other, then it's going to mean the end of the world. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So yeah. if you, you don't vote for our candidate, right. then democracy yeah. is over, America is a nation right. will end, and, yeah. and both sides are perpetuating that idea. They really are. And so then there's this whole element of you have to agree entirely hook, line, and sinker with one party. And if you don't and and allow for any nuance, then the stakes have been raised to the level at which our country will be destroyed and the world will end. Yeah, the most consequential election in history. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we, it seems like that's every four years It now, does, <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of uh, some of my friends watch the TV show The, the Bachelorette or The Bachelor. Right. And I, you know, friends, I'm saying that's so it's not me. <laughs> but every year it's like the most dramatic episode in the history yeah. of the show and that's the election yeah. every year it's just yeah. it's become this kind of tv reality tv drama that yeah. everybody is tired of and yet yeah. feels this tension around so uh, you're exactly right paul i think there's huge pressure and we're really forced into this binary mm-hmm. uh, choice between yep. parties when in fact i think you know, Christian convictions and values are all over the spectrum. Uh, right. So um, I think, you, you know, following both the Bible and the early church, Christians could be com- should be committed to racial justice and the poor, but they're also committed to the understanding that sex is only for marriage yeah. and uh, for nurturing family. So one of those is a very liberal mm-hmm. position. The other of those is very conservative. Yeah. So I think the historical Christian positions on social issues, they don't really fit into the contemporary um, alignments yeah. that we assign things to. Yep. So absolutely. I think you're exactly, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And it is a moral dilemma. Yep. I think, yeah. To, to have to vote because everything's poured into one side or the other side. Yeah, absolutely. And so with that in mind, I guess the um, the place that I'd like to take the conversation today of, of how then should we vote is how did Jesus engage with politics? Because yeah. I think that has to be uh, the model, the the messenger of, of how we are to do that. So yeah. when we think of, of politics and how we should vote, what kind of comes to mind for you and, and what from the life of Jesus can give guidance? Right, right. Well, I think the closest thing that Jesus ever made uh, as a political statement is a is an incident. It's in Mark chapter 12. And at this point, Jesus is just weeks from the cross. He's entered Jerusalem. In fact, the, the preceding passage is he's just cleansed the temple, which mm-hmm. is significant in this. And then you have some of the Pharisees, the chief priests, teachers of the law, they're trying to trap Jesus. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get him to use words that would enable them to get him executed. Mm. And so you have this really interesting passage, and it's a famous passage. I'm probably you've heard this passage quoted before where, again, they try to catch him. So let me read. It's yeah. from Mark chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 13. It says, Later they, that's the chief priests, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And they came to him and said, Teacher, We know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. In other words, blah, blah, blah. They're trying to butter (laughs) Jesus up and uh, probably get him to say what they want him to say. Uh But then they, they come to the point, they come to the question and they say, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Hmm. Should we pay it or shouldn't we? 
But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He mm. asks. And then he says, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Who's in, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then here's the famous words. Jesus said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And then the text says, they were amazed at him. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, yeah, I love yeah. the number of times Jesus says something that sounds so simple and yet yeah. people are shocked by the wisdom and, the, and like, don't know how to respond. It's like a mic drop, right? <laughs> it yeah. is. He's got a lot of those. So, you know, what's interesting here is uh, that this this particular question has made really odd allies. So you have, it says the Herodians. The Herodians mm-hmm. were supporters of Herod who were sympathizers with the Roman government. Right. And then on the other side, you have the Pharisees who were... Um, hated Rome and were against everything Roman culture. And so it's interesting that the it would be like uh, Nancy Pelosi supporters coming together with the Tea Party (laughs) to get Jesus. Um, And it's an odd pairing. And uh, they cross the aisle and, you know, they're on the platform, Jesus must go. So... The, the question is, is this imperial tax, and uh, well, that was an annual tax mm. that every non-Roman citizen had to pay. Mm. So, of course, it meant a lot to the Jews, and yeah. a denarius was a day's wage. Uh-huh. So, you know, significant yeah. amount of money that every person who wasn't a Roman citizen had to pay. So mm. the Jews were very interested in uh, Jesus' answer. But the other, historically, what's interesting is about 25 years prior to this uh, moment. Uh, In 6 AD, there was a revolt led by a guy named Judas the Galilean. Hmm. It's actually mentioned in Acts 5, Hmm. where Judas had tried to do three things. And this was when this imperial tax, this head tax, was inaugurated. Like the first week it was uh, rolled out. Judas the Galilean does three things. He calls all the Jews to refuse to pay the tax. Hmm. Secondly, with an armed mob, he cleanses the temple. Oh, wow. Again, Jesus had just done yeah. this. And then third, he walked into the temple shouting, God is our king, not Caesar. The kingdom of God has come. Wow. So here we are 25 years later, and people are wondering, is this happening again? Yeah. And uh, Jesus had come teaching about the kingdom of God. He's cleansed the temple. Now what about this? Imperial mm. tax. And so they lay the trap for him. Because what's interesting, so if Jesus sides with the Herodians and says, of course you should pay the tax, it's as if he's sympathizing with Rome. Right. And he loses all credibility about his statement on the kingdom because the kingdom of God was more than just a spiritual thing. The kingdom of God was supposed to alleviate poverty right. and alleviate corruption. And, I mean, all yeah, of this. it was a political reality to exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So if he sides with the Herodians, he's saying, well, we can live with all that other stuff. The kingdom of God's just a spiritual yeah. thing. Huh. If he sides with the Pharisees, he's a dead man. Right. Because it, word would get out to the local Roman officials that you have this guy causing an uproar yeah. and he's saying to revolt against Rome. Right. So it, it's, it's the perfect trap. Yeah. Right? Hmm. So Jesus' answer, you know, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God. It's the it's yeah, it's this mic drop perfect <laughs> answer. And even the way he does it with the denarius is just profound, you know, because what's interesting is in that day uh, on a denarius, on the one side it had a picture of Tiberius Caesar, mm-hmm. and it says that Caesar is God. Yep. 
turn it over and it says that he's the high uh, I forget the Latin, but it's Pontifus Maximus, I think. Right. The, the high priest. Yeah. So you have this, this uh, you know, v- unmistakable, this is, this money belongs to Rome. Mm. And so, you know, Jesus is kind of raising the question, what do you give to a tyrant? <laughs> <laughs> well, you give him his money back, yeah. you know, in the form of taxes, uh-huh. uh, but you do not give him allegiance, mm. full heart allegiance. Mm. No human leader deserves that. Mm. Give to God what's God's mm. because we're made in his image. Wow. Is the idea. So, so there's this distinction then that Jesus is making and which I, I, that story is so fascinating. And I, I think the, the, the background that you just provided for all of us on that is, is so insightful in that they're really coming to him with a false choice, right? right. The, the leaders and the religious leaders are coming to him and they, they're giving him a binary option. You've right. got one option or the other. Yeah. And Jesus finds a way to, to have nuance in that argument yeah. um, in a way that doesn't duck the question. It doesn't duck um, it. But it actually makes a higher it point. It transcends it. Yeah, it transcends yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and so how does that then translate to some of our political engagement? Yeah. What do you, what do yeah. you see that Great. playing so a role? I think at least two implications. One is uh, I think Jesus... He resists this kind of political simplicity. Yeah, uh, I think he puts out there that politics is n- is not this way or that way. Mm. It's nuanced. It's it, you know, the leaders want a yes or no answer. Yeah, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Should we or shouldn't we? In other words, what party are you in? Right. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't do that, mm. and he won't boil it down to a simple answer. Yeah. So uh, it, now, when Jesus talks about relationship with him. Follow me, hmm. you know, no, no gray. Right. When he talks about our relationship to the state hmm. or to politics, he doesn't give a simple hmm. yes or no answer. It's balanced. It's, it's. I think nuanced. Uh, it's, it's a both and. Yeah. Uh, both give to the leader his money. Right. But give to God your allegiance. Yeah. Your ultimate allegiance. So, uh, and to my mind, we we must not do. Uh, to Jesus what he himself wouldn't do. Mm. Um, we must not say one political platform is the Jesus party. Right, yeah. Uh, we, we want, I think, that's, and that's some of the pressure you were learning. I think we'd like to say that all intelligent Christians, well, they vote this way, right. of course. <laughs> or we question, how could you ever vote for him? Yeah. And we like that simplicity. Right. Uh, but politics tends to be complex. Very complex. I, I think yep. that's so true. And um, the, as you were talking about that and the, the nuance Jesus brings to that, I could actually feel like some relief in the conversation around yep. politics because yep. we do, we take these huge issues um, and, and we all know, you know, some of the lightning rod issues of the day, abortion, yep. immigration, racism, the economy. And we think that there is somehow a binary option, a, a one platform will fix all of those problems and take care of them. So we see these issues um, like like abortion, immigration, uh, racism. There, there are so many lightning rod issues, and we think that uh, we have a binary option, that it's either one party will solve it their way or the other party will solve it theirs, and there's no room for nuance or discussion to recognize these are actually really complex issues, and yeah. they 
don't have um, easy solutions. And and oftentimes, solutions that are offered by both parties have merit. And yes. if we could That's actually right. find a way to, to bring those together, we might actually find some yeah. improvement in yeah. those. And yet we get stuck with a binary option and, and stuck in a political camp. It's really true. I mean, you could, you could for instance, is the envir- is environment, uh, mm. is environmental stewardship important. Yeah. And I think you can make a strong biblical case that it is. Absolutely. That we should, if anyone should care about the environment, it's, it's Christians. So, right. you know, in that sense, there'd be an element of rightness and I'm going to, you know, Larry R. at waterstonechurch.org. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but in that sense, based on that issue, you could vote for Ralph Nader and right. the Green Party. Right, exactly. Uh, because there's truth mm-hmm. in that. Uh, yep. I, but yet I think an African-American could ask, how is environmental stewardship anywhere near as important right. as racial justice? And on it goes. Yes, exactly. And the same with, I think, is exactly true with pro-life. Typically, pro-life is limited to one issue, and the and that's the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. And and don't misunderstand me. That's a huge injustice, Absolutely. and we need to get. In fact, the first letter I ever wrote to a Congress mm-hmm. person, a representative in Congress was about the abortion issue back in the 80s. Mm. That's an issue that's very near my heart. Yeah. But that issue alone does not make me pro-life. Right. Pro-life also cares that 9 million people uh, in the world at any given time are starving. Right. Pro-life means that smoking, it, which kills almost 500,000 people, almost as many babies that are aborted mm. uh, from smoking, that... We should care about the use of tobacco. Yeah, you uh, know, to be pro life. I mean, mm-hmm. it's yep. it's much bigger. It is. It's much bigger and 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 more nuanced. And I love the the term you used earlier for what Jesus does with this argument because he transcends yeah. the the options of the day. And I, I do think there's a, a sense in which Christians uh, should be able to transcend political platforms, political people, and um, still engage with the issues. Yeah. But from a position that isn't left or right or even centrist, but alternative, yep. that there's an alternative way uh, to engage with these things. And the, the church needs to be a voice yep. that presents those kinds of options and those kinds of ways of treating people. And too many times, it, let's face it, it's simpler to check a box and say, I voted for that person and therefore it's taken care of and I don't have to do yep. anything about it. So, so let me throw th- two things at you, yeah. two theories. One, I think as a Christian, in light of these things we're discussing about, like resisting just mere binary choices, that that there's issues across the board that believers, because there's issues across the board biblically in terms of values that we're about. So one, I think the more we get dig into this and really, you know, research and decide how we're going to vote and get involved in the political system... We'll, we'll have more tension around hmm. some of these things than less. In fact, I would say more tension is actually a good sign. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, it, it, I, I think we'd like to get to a place where we never have any tension around it. Absolutely. But I, I would sense there's always going to be growing tension. So yeah. that's my first premise. Yeah. The, the second premise is... Um, I just, I lost it for a minute. Oh, if I could. So I think that what you were saying about um, tension and how we feel, I think one of the things that's so important to realize about that in engagement with politics is is parties and political institutions and organizations try 
as hard as they can to eliminate the tension we feel, Yes. to make it a simple choice. They yeah. want us to feel that if we vote for the other person, we are voting for the demise of democracy. Yes. And so the only option, and so they simplify it down to, but it, they use fear mongering in these tactics. Yeah. It is, it's yeah. apocalyptic. And so yeah. they, they try to, that incongruency we feel when we go to the voting booth, they want to remove that as much as possible. Um, and actually we should listen to that. It yeah. should be a, a sign of, of the spirit at work in our lives that the world is not offering the correct solutions yeah. and, and yeah. that those things do feel incongruent with our beliefs. Yeah. Um, and if we can go into a voting booth and vote for a person or a platform or a ticket um, without any kind of reservation, then I think that there's room to say the spirit should be at work more in us to bring some yeah. tension because yeah. um, we shouldn't oh, feel perfectly that, comfortable. And that was the second. Thank okay, you. Yeah. <laughs> this is like live podcasting. Here. That's it. I blanked out. But that's the other thing. I once heard uh, Tim Keller say that for a believer in Jesus, your, your political, your politics are are always growing mm. and, and fluid and in growth. Uh, not that the truth is changing all the time, but he he described it this way. He said, if you're on an extreme end, like extreme conservative or extreme liberal, and and you're there without any reservations. Mm. Perhaps the gospel's not growing in you as it should, because if, uh, if you're on an extreme, what the gospel does is pull you more towards the center, mm. and you're willing to look at other positions and maybe understand that there's a variety of biblical values that one party can't contain. Absolutely. So you're moving to the center. And then he said, if you're in the center, you're probably like disengaged. You're probably mm. not caring, mm. uh, not, not involved yeah. uh, in it at all. And so what the gospel does is come in and you understand Christ is king, his kingdom on this earth will move you to one of the extremes, at mm. least something you're passionate about yeah. could move you to the ends. Mm. So you're either moving to the center, or if you're in the center, you're moving to one of the ends because you're passionate about whatever issue That's there. fascinating. Yeah, I thought, and I, actually, that's kind of been that way a little bit for me yeah. uh, as I've just engaged politics. Yeah, over absolutely. Yeah. And I think what, what that speaks to you so clearly is the tension we should feel yeah. um, in between yeah. the binary options. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, so I, I think that's... So Paul, Paul the, the one thing I would say then from the Jesus story yeah. is that he resists political simplicity mm. and politics is nuanced and complex. I think yet at the same time, the second thing I would say that this story teaches us is that at the same time, he still promotes engagement. Hmm. You know, give to Caesar what's Caesar. You can't drop out of politics yeah. and have nothing to do with this system. And you can't completely resist government hmm. in your life. So we have to engage it. And so the question is, how do we engage? Well, I, I do think obedience is a part, being submissive yeah. to authorities. Uh, what's interesting about that whole understanding when Jesus says, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, is that in a few days, he's going to be killed right. in part right. by Caesar. Uh, and in 70 AD, Caesar comes in and the Romans wipe out the temple. And then they'll kill the apostles and thousands of Christians. Now, mm. I don't think the Roman government and Caesar was the, well, like the Nazis. Right. But um, it's safe to say that no, no matter how much you like or dislike American politicians... Rome was worse. That's fair. <laughs> and yet Jesus says, pay your taxes. Right. Uh, and if, even if you don't like the government, yeah, you got to pay your taxes. You have to engage. There's legitimate authority Absolutely. that God's put in place there. 
And, yeah, absolutely. And to add on to that, what you said earlier, we while we submit uh, to that authority, we don't ever give it our ultimate allegiance. Right. And so there's that distinction again yep. that he makes that we submit and we trust um, that God is sovereign no matter who's in charge or how bad we may think it's getting. Um, and yet uh, our ultimate allegiance is not to a worldly leader, but to Jesus as king. That's right. Um, and that, I, I think that's, again, there's a tension there, yeah, there uh, but we have to be honest about that. Yeah. So um, I, I think one thing that I, that I wanted to do today that I would love to, to kind of pick your 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 brain on is uh, this idea of, okay, so how should we vote? So we have to reject um, political simplicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we participate in politics, but we don't give our ultimate allegiance to it. Um, mm-hmm. When we go into that voting booth or now <laughs> with a write-in ballot or wherever it might be, uh, there's still the, uh, the two options are on the ticket, yeah. right? Um, and Or maybe three if you're a proponent of writing. Yeah. And I know you mentioned someone yeah. wrote in Peyton, Peyton Manning. Manning. They have four yeah. options. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard someone the other day say that if Chick-fil-A drive through could be our Congress, everything would get done. <laughs> <laughs> they're just so efficient. Um, so I don't yeah. know if that's an option on the ticket. Right. Um, but people do that. We we still we if we're advocating for voting, then then we have the options that are available to us. Oftentimes, we feel incongruent with those choices because um, they've been. Ch- let's face it, they've been ch- made for us in in many regards, mm-hmm. um, and and handed down to us. So. Um, the question, how then should we vote? Yeah. Um, I'd love to throw out a couple of things I've yeah. been thinking well, through. You, you have some good thoughts here. And we'll start with those. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, we'll <laughs> hop into it. Um, so the first way I, I think that I would answer this question of how we should vote is that um, we have to recognize that we always go into the voting booth with our own self-interest in mind. It yes. is impossible for us as humans, to enter a voting booth without thinking of our own needs, our own desires, our own beliefs. Um, But we have to be honest about what those are. And I think too many times we can go into the voting booth and try to um, hide our blind spots or pretend that our own self-interest is not the reason we're voting. Um, And so I think there's, there's something to be said that of course, your your own self interest, your needs, your desires are going to influence your choices, yeah. um, but we have to be honest about the way that those play a role in our our vote. And by honest, you mean even like calling them out or acknowledging them. So, so for instance, one that you often hear is quote unquote the economy, mm-hmm. they, and the economy is really important and it matters. But yep. why does it matter specifically to you? Exactly. Is it are you voting to protect your retirement account? Exactly. Uh, I mean, what's the motivation uh, around that? Yeah, I I think that's a a great example of it because we can say we're voting in one way and, um, and yeah, the bottom line is that when a certain person is president or a certain party is in power, then we feel like our economic standing grows and increases and, and, um, and that is driving our vote in that instance. And we may not be thinking of others in that instance and how that decision affects them. Right. Um, another uh, way that I've, I've thought about how uh, we should vote is um, while we have to keep our own uh, self-interest in mind, I think Christians are called um, to engage with politics and specifically with our vote uh, with the interests of others in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have to listen to those who disagree with us politically and, and who have alternate views. Um, you know, I think of when uh, the Apostle Paul was writing to the Galatians and he was addressing a community that was in really deep disunity. We often think that our moment in history is the most 
disunified and the the most uh, you know egregious. But he was writing to a community that was very deeply divided. Um, and Paul was teaching the Galatians that uh, foundational to their belief in in Jesus was that they were to bear one another bur- one another's burdens um, and to care for the interests of others. Um, you know, that feels like a very radical statement, I mm. think, that we ought to carry one another's burdens. Yeah. And I think I could even hear people saying, well, that was in the church and politics is different. But I think the principle does transcend, again, that if we engage with um, with politics and as we think about uh, how we should vote, it should not just be for our own self-interest, right. but also the interests of others. Exactly. So. And it gets to humility, again, mm. I think. And are we willing to... Consider others. Are we willing to listen to others? Great, great story I came across. Again, I think this comes from Tim Keller is where I first read it. But uh, he, he said, I, I know of a man from Mississippi who was a conservative Republican and a traditional Presbyterian. Okay. And he visited the Scottish Highlands and found the churches there as strict and orthodox as he had hoped. Mm. No one so much as turned on a television on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And everyone memorized catechisms and scripture. But one day, he discovered that the Scottish Christian friends he admired were, in his view, socialists. Their understanding of government, economic policy, and state's responsibility was, by his, uh, by his understanding, very left-wing, yet also grounded in their con- Christian convictions. Mm. So he returned to the United States, not more politically liberal, but, in his words, humbled and chastened. He realized that thoughtful Christians, all trying to obey God's call, could reasonably appear at different places on the political spectrum wow. with loyalties to different political strategies. Wow. So, yeah, I I think there's real value. Well, another, another example of that is, you know, if you look, for instance, at what today is white, the white Republican Party, uh, I mean, most white evangelicals, uh, are Republicans, most black evangelicals are Democrats. Mm. And why is that? I mean, we read the same Bible. Yep. We pray to the same Father. Yeah. But why is that? Well, I think one theory on that would be because I think as white evangelicals, you know, we look in the rearview mirror and want life as stable as it's been for us mm. over the last decades. Black evangelicals look into the rearview mirror and say, no way I want to go back there. What can be changed about the future? But again, I think there's value in listening. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating that um, you can see those two different uh, paradigms for viewing uh, engagement with politics. And yet, again, there's there's a unity of belief in the same God, the same Jesus, yeah. and um, and yet very different implications for how that plays out. And I think right. that's what we have to be honest about is personal experience plays a huge role huge. in this. It's yeah. it's absolutely monumental in how yes. we see the world. And so I think in order to be able to vote with the interest of others in mind, we have to listen yeah. to the people we disagree with and hear their experience and understand. Yeah. Um, and I think so, so you know, first we, we have to be honest about what our our interests are. Um, We should also be committed to voting for the interests of others. And this is where I think it really the rubber hits the road is that I think our vote should always be intended towards the greatest flourishing of our community. And the, the challenge with that is sometimes what is best for our own personal self-interest is not 
best yes. for the interest of the community. That's right. And so we get to a place um, where our vote uh, should be intended towards the good of our neighbors as best as we can see it. And I think we have to consult scripture on that. I think we have to reference Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. um, I think we can ask fellow Christians um, and our neighbors themselves. Uh, but when we take our vote seriously, uh, we recognize that, that we're um, voting for something that is beyond our own self-interest and should yeah. be geared towards the flourishing of the whole community. Yeah even if that is against what we think might be best for us. So well said in your word flourishing there. And, it, and it's true. And I think that one idea around that is I think at times we have to make decide that um, whatever the issue is, it there's true, the Christian truth uh, that, let me, let me say it this way, most political positions... Uh, are not uh, matters of biblical command, yes, but of practical wisdom. Right. So, for instance, this does not mean that the church doesn't speak to social or economic or political realities, because the Bible does. Yeah. And so we should as well. Racism is sin, violating the second of the two great commandments to Jesus, to love your neighbor. Biblical commands to lift up the poor, defend mm -hmm. the oppressed. Those are moral imperatives and stuff that we should be preaching on and, yep. and um, expressing even righteous indignation. However, there are many possible ways to help the poor. Absolutely. Um, should we shrink government, you know, right. the conservative side, and, and let private capital markets allocate resources, or should we expand government mm -hmm. and give the state more of the power to redistribute wealth? It, it depends, right? right? There's been seasons when we've swung one way or the other. There, both could be the right path yeah. for a particular season in in time. The Bible does not give exact answers uh, to those kinds of questions. The practical wisdom right. of how to help the poor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that actually it's so well said, and it yeah. it ties in perfectly with. Um, my my fourth uh, yeah. kind of proponent of how we should vote, which is w we can be members of a, a political party. That that's not what we're saying. Is you can't. No. We're not saying that you can't be a part of a political party. But if you are, um, be a member of a political party because of what we believe. We should yeah. not believe things because we are part of a political party. Mm -hmm. And it might sound like semantics, but um, so many times I see people engaging with politics and say, this is my party, and they believe whatever their party tells them and whatever their new station is, that's what they believe. And, and so we, we get bought into the, the party narrative. Right. And as Christians, we have to transcend that, that we what we believe um, first as Christians and as followers of Jesus, as you were just saying, that is what should drive our vote. Um, and sometimes that will require us to disagree with the party we most closely identify with. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And then you had one more? Yeah, the the last one, I think, and, and this is uh, so countercultural um, to, to everything we're hearing in this election, yeah. but um, I just, we've said it in the, the previous podcast as well, when we vote, when we pull that lever, when we write in, uh, when we check a box, um, that vote 
as followers of Jesus, should never uh, come from a place of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, there are 365 Bible <laughs> verses in Scripture about how the people of God are to not be afraid. Mm-hmm. And Jesus' uh, most common commandment was do not, fear do not fear to his disciples. And so there is so much fear built into our political uh, discourse. And people, again, as we were talking about earlier, say that it is the end of the world if one person is elected or the end of democracy if the other is. And And as Christians, we have to rise above that, that no matter who's elected on November 3rd or what ballot issues are passed, Jesus is king. And so we do not have to be afraid. Um, And so I do think um, if there's anything that that I would maybe summarize all this in, if, if if when we go to the voting booth, uh, we go with a spirit of fear, um, I think that is the one place where there's not freedom in our vote. I think so many other ways, as you just mentioned, we can vote and see things a lot of different ways. If we see it through a lens of fear, I actually think that is is, is sinful. And I think we need to... I agree, and it gets back to our identity. We we do practice identity politics yeah, in a, in a sense, do. and our identity is Christian, absolutely above all things Christian. Yeah, um, every every election, every you know, quote unquote revolution, it changes the players. It does, but it doesn't change the world. Yeah, uh, all the kings try to fix everything from the outside in, and they can, the government can feed a hungry stomach, but it can't change the human heart. Right, so. Uh, Billy Graham once said, I think it was uh, in 1987, Hmm. there's nothing coming out of Washington that's going to save the world. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Billy Billy had a few things to say. He did have a few things to say. (laughs) He who lived near the levers of power. He did. Yeah. Yeah, But could see. uh, Absolutely. So, Yeah. I know. I, th- I think that's that's a, the important thing to remember is that we, as we go into the the voting booth, we can believe in in issues, we can believe in um, platforms, and we can even believe in people. But as soon as we give them our ultimate allegiance or think those things are the things that will bring salvation, or the kingdom of God alone, then we've misplaced our trust and yeah. our and our unity. So. We have to step back from that. Yep. Um, as uh, the pastor of Waterstone, and as we kind of bring this conversation to a close, is there uh, any last thing that you would kind of give uh, to the people of Waterstone as they uh, go into the voting booth? Um, that'd be helpful. Yeah. Well, how about this, Paul? I, you know, here are the things that uh, that I'm going. I, we have our ballot sitting on our counter, right, and I've yep. been waiting uh, just for a half hour to sit down and do that. But mm. I can tell you. There'll be at least three things on my mind as I, as I fill out my ballot. The first one is, uh, and we didn't really talk much about this, and it may be another whole podcast at some point, but <laughs> it's the idea of character. Mm. Um, and how much? And so I'm just going to put it in the form of a question: How much does character influence leadership mm. for a country, for an organization, for a church? Mm. Um, that's one thing. You you might have even the best platform in the world, but if there's a lack of character involved, uh, does that override platform or Hmm. how does that play in? So that's a question for me. The second question for me is biblical conviction and how those play out. Again, the the scripture's fairly clear on the certain issues and, and the people that we should be concerned about even as we go to a voting booth. So those people will be on my mind, the vulnerable, mm. the poor, mm. um, the, the, where where the Father's heart mm. is. And then it, it's not only those people in my mind, but then what are what do I believe? And this is where, you know, everyone votes their conscience right. on this. But what does my conscience point? Where does it point in terms of 
what are some of the best practical strategies to go after the help of these people. Mm. And then I think the last thing for me is I vote as a Christian. Mm. And you said it so well. On November 4th, Jesus is still king. Mm. And uh, th this will not affect the way I treat any anyone in, in my family mm. or my congregation mm. or in, 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 the, in, the, in the community. I mean, we are still called to a higher kingdom. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's well said, and I think that's a great place to end it on. Okay. Thanks for jumping on the conversation, Larry. You bet, Paul. It's been good. Great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. We hope this is a show that will spark conversation and that you'll sh even share this episode with a friend. This podcast was hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and today's show is edited and mixed by Phil Nelson, produced by Emily Kloss, and the graphic was designed by Lane Gerkink. Special thanks to Larry Renault, the lead pastor of Waterstone, for joining us to share his wisdom and insights and his uh, pastoral heart for Christian engagement with politics. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.